Welcome to Season 2 of Your Daily Chocolate, where you'll continue to get funny stories, clean jokes, and interviews with inspiring people. You made this podcast one of the top 25% most shared podcasts globally and top 25% most followed. Nice to know that good news is appreciated, and Patty's committed to delivering the antidote to all that negativity. Like chocolate, this podcast is meant to make you feel good, and it's good for you. Enjoy. My guest today is Jerry Landman. Both Jerry and her husband, Zach, are physicians in the Bay Area. Jerry's a pediatrician, and they are parents to three amazing girls. But they're also founders and directors of a nonprofit called Moonshots for Unicorns. You're going to hear a lot more about that in today's conversation. It was inspired by her one-year-old daughter, Lucy, with the mission to find cures and fund research for ultra-rare diseases. I hope you're going to find this a really inspiring conversation. Jerry, thank you so much for joining me on your Daily Chocolate. Happy to have you here. Thank you, Patty, for having me. I read about you and your family and the incredible work that you're doing, but let's start out with having you tell us a little bit about Lucy and what you noticed when she was four years old that concerned you. I think you mean four months. Yep. Let me do that over. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Mm. All right. Let's start first with you telling us a little bit about your precious daughter, Lucy, and what you noticed when she was four months old that concerned you. Yeah. So Lucy is our third daughter. The older two are neurotypical and third graders and kindergartners. And then we always knew we wanted a third. And when Lucy came along, we were so happy to have our family be complete. But there were a few early signs that that started to get us worried. Uh, when she was a tiny baby, she was just so much sleepier than her sisters. Her older sisters screamed for their whole first two weeks. And Lucy slept. And we said, is this normal? And I'm a pediatrician, so I've reassured parents a million times about sleepy babies. But it just seemed a little too sleepy. Um, but then she woke up and she was she smiled and she laughed and did all the things. But by about four months, we noticed she really was just a little bit floppier than her sisters had been. We tried to sit her in the boppy chair and she just flopped to the side. And I said, OK, you're not ready for solid foods yet. Is that then, muscle tone then? Is that what yeah, that? Okay. Yeah. She had very low muscle tone. And we used to joke that she was a snuggly baby. And then we realized it was just that she couldn't really pick up her head off our oh. shoulders very well. And so for her four month appointment, I took her to the pediatrician. I said, she's a little floppy. She said, OK, let's have you see the neurologist. And... We did. We saw the neurologist and she said, I think this is something benign congenital hypotonia. Like lots of babies are a little bit floppier than other babies. They do some physical therapy and, and they do great. And that's what Lucy was doing for a while. She did some physical therapy and she did get stronger. And so when did you find out that it was actually something very rare? Yeah. So around eight and a half months, we went on a family trip to Panama and she caught some sort of virus there. And she just really fell off a cliff with it. She had learned to sit independently and play. And she stopped being able to sit up. She was flopping to the side. Um, she stopped making good eye contact. She stopped babbling. And then she completely started refusing solid foods. Oh. And so we were terrified. We flew home. I took her to the ER at Stanford. And they ran a couple tests and said, everything looks fine. 
I said, but everything's not fine. Right. Um, The mom knows and you're a pediatrician. Yes, exactly. And so I started taking some videos of what I was seeing and sending them to her neurologist. And she said, oh, okay, I see what you mean. Let's admit her to the hospital for what we call kind of an expedited workup, get all the tests at once. And so she went and was admitted at Stanford Children's Hospital and had an MRI and an EEG, two spinal taps, a neuroconduction study, lots of labs. And everything came back reassuring. And finally, the neurologist who was on in the hospital that week seeing patients was actually my resident when I was a medical student. So she knew I wasn't crazy by good fortune. (laughs) And and two, she's a neurogeneticist. So she's trained in neurology and genetics. And she said, these kids who fall off the cliff a little bit when they get sick, sometimes there's something genetic going on. So I think we should send some really broad genetic testing just to be thorough. And we did. The kit came in the mail the next week and we swabbed Lucy's cheek and sent it off. And by then she'd started to improve again. And so we almost forgot that the test was pending out there. She was sort of coming back to her baseline. And then on April 18th, so almost a year ago today, we got a text from her neurologist that said, Lucy's genetic tests are back and I'm concerned. Let's meet in an hour. And it didn't say, let's get this treated or anything. It just said, I'm concerned. Uh-oh. The answer is there, there were no treatments and no cures. So we learned that day that she had an ultra rare genetic disorder, 50 people in the world called PGAP3, which is just the name of the gene. It doesn't even have another name besides that. And it leads to things that we now see about Lucy, which is all the low muscle tone and ataxia, which is like unsteadiness, mm-hmm. intellectual disability, lack of expressive speech, some autistic features, and then about 60 to 70 percent of kids get like really hard to treat seizures. Lucy, thankfully, does not have any seizures yet. Well, thank goodness for that. So so you learned that and that's not anything you'd learned about in medical school. Oh, gosh, no. Even the whole class of disorders is something we barely touch on. But you and your husband are physicians. So do you hear this news and go, "Okay, we're finding a cure or what, what do you go through mentally when you get that news? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty hard to relive that news. I would say that we kind of went through all the five stages of grief. We, The day we heard it, Lucy was standing at the table and smiling in front of us and babbling. And we were in denial. Right. I I said, I'm sorry, I don't believe you. I don't I don't think this is the right diagnosis. And then we stayed up all night and we read every paper on PGAP3 that had ever been written, which is not a long list. And by morning, we knew it was the right diagnosis. It's what she had. And we took a week and we just cried and hiked and (laughs) hung out with our older girls. And then finally, a week later, we were like laying in bed crying. And Zach looked at me and he said, we can't cry forever. (laughs) He's like, this isn't fun. If there's any two people in the world who are better situated to do something about this, it's two physicians living in the Bay Area Yes. We've trained Boston Children's and Stanford and UCSF and have the capacity to do something about this. And I said, you know what? You're right. And that's when Moonshots for Unicorns was born. Okay. So Moonshots for Unicorns is your nonprofit. You start that and you go, okay, let's find a cure. How do you go about finding a pharmaceutical company, a research company, physicians who will take on a genetic disorder that only affects 50 people in the world? Yeah, yeah. 
We emailed everyone. We probably sent 800 emails in the first month after Lucy's diagnosis. Any, the first and last author on any paper that had ever been written about PGAP3 or about her class of disorders. Being physicians, we sort of had some sense of the avenues that you could go down for curing rare diseases, whether that was repurposing existing drugs that might have an effect. Gene therapy is a relatively new technology, but has been very successful in curing disorders where people are lacking a gene. And the amount of emails that we got back, Patty, was just the most inspiring thing about that month that you send this email at midnight and you don't expect to hear anything back and you wake up at 6 a.m. and three researchers from Japan have sent you long and thoughtful emails about ways to go about this and how can they help. I love it. Japan to Qatar to Ohio and everywhere in between. And so we definitely had researchers who were interested. Pharmaceutical companies, not so much yet. So we talked to being in the Bay Area, we've talked to a lot of VCs. um, We've talked to a lot of pharmaceutical companies. And the number that everyone gives you is basically a thousand patients. They prefer 2000. They could maybe go down to 500. But unless you have at least that many patients, it's just not going to be profitable for them. And they have shareholders right. to answer to. I don't, I don't blame them at all. And in terms of government funding, we've talked to people who work at the White House and they're working on sort of how do we fund rare disease research because it's, there are 10,000 rare diseases and each one has fewer than a thousand people. So yeah. it's tricky. So we decided the the nonprofit model was the way we had to go. And there's a shocking number of people to me still. It's so inspiring to me how many people care. And I think it's because people realize rare disease is not so rare. Individually, they're rare, but there are 10,000 rare diseases. They affect 1% of the population. And a lot of parents out there realize this could happen to anyone. Right. So where do things stand? Yeah, so there have been some exciting developments recently. So we formed this nonprofit, Moonshots for Unicorns. We've done uh, first a, of all, a, how'd you come up with that name? Oh, yeah. So uh, there have been a lot of moonshots programs, right? There was moonshot oh. to go to the moon. There's moonshots for cancer. We said, we need a moonshot for rare disease. These things are challenging. It is a moonshot. Trying to replace a gene that is so fundamental to the human body. We know that this is a long shot. And that raising the two to three million dollars it's going to take to do it is also a long shot for two doctors who know a lot about the medicine. But fundraising is out of our wheelhouse. And so we said we need a moonshot for this, but we've made it to the moon before and this is really possible. And then our kids are all unicorns, right? Kids with rare diseases. We either call them zebras or unicorns. Our older girls love unicorns. (laughs) Perfect. We, all the unicorns out there really deserve their own moonshot. And we didn't want a lot of rare disease foundations are called by the name of their rare disease. Uh, But when we got the news about Lucy, we said, this isn't just about us. We don't want any parent to ever be told, I'm so sorry your child has this disease. There are no cures and new treatments. Right. Go home and do the best you can with therapy. And so we're trying to carve a pathway with the work that we're doing for PGAP3 right now. But our vision for Moonshots for Unicorns is that we help so many other rare diseases going on down the line and coming up with therapies for many more. Well, I think you you mentioned autism. And isn't that also kind of an offshoot of this? Like if you can really help patients with 
PGAP-3, that treatment might also be applicable to autism. Is that right? Absolutely. I mean, so as a pediatrician, I can tell you autism is sort of a bucket diagnosis, right? It describes a group of features, but it doesn't tell you why people have those features. And people probably have them for many different reasons. And a lot of them are thought to be genetic. So the the recent recommendations from the American Academy of Pediatrics is to do genetic testing for children who are diagnosed with autism because there probably are many of these rare genetic disorders that are leading to similar features. And so finding technologies like drug repurposing and gene therapy that can cure those and, and making them more streamlined so that it doesn't cost two to $3 million every time is really important for curing autism. So can you kind of back into this then? I mean, there's a lot of children with autism. Can you find a company that will say we're going to attack the gene that causes autism and maybe that will help the PGAP3? Well, I don't know that there's one gene that causes autism. This is the issue. There's probably like a thousand genes that cause autism or maybe not that many, but quite a few that cause those kind of features. But I do think trying to apply therapies in terms of drug repurposing and such that help kids who have autistic features would absolutely help Lucy. And we've already done that. So that's been really exciting. We've started Lucy on a few supplements and generally safe medications that have come out of our drug repurposing research. And she's also on a medical ketogenic diet from some of the research that we funded that shows that her brain cells don't use sugar normally. And so a ketogenic diet is something that helps a lot of kids with seizures out there. And Lucy doesn't have seizures yet, but could potentially Good. develop them. And it's been really helpful for her. So she started walking, which we thought she may never do. And many kids with PGAP3 do not. She's doing some simple signs like more and more or book. And that's been really exciting to see. But more importantly, for a while in late summer and early fall, we just we felt like we were losing her a little bit. The light behind her eyes was fading and she wasn't okay. babbling as much and as we've started these other treatments, it's really started to come back a lot. And so that that means more to me that's, than anything That's else. amazing. Yeah. And so you're kind of, I mean, a time crunch is probably not the right word, but do you know enough about PGAP3 to know what happens next? And do you have a certain amount of time before you can catch things before she regresses? Or what's that look like? Yeah. Many kids with PGAP3 start having seizures around age four or five. So for us, finding a definitive therapy before then is really, really important because as all parents who have kids who have frequent seizures know when you're having frequent seizures, your brain just doesn't learn right. And so so it feels like a time crunch there. It also feels like a time crunch because there's neurodevelopmental windows, right? There's yeah. a time when kids are supposed to be learning to talk and walk and their brain is a sponge and, and they're just absorbing that. And you can see that in neurotypical kids that they go from having 50 words one week to like 200 words a couple months later. And so taking advantage of those natural neurodevelopmental windows, I think is really important. Other research we funded has shown that Lucy's neuron support cells in her brain don't actually support her neurons. They kill them. And oh. so that gave me more of a time crunch feeling than anything else, knowing that we've got to fix this problem before too many of those neurons sort of die off in that way. Um, and so we're full speed ahead with the gene therapy yeah. research. So the idea of gene therapy is Lucy's missing a gene, right? She's missing a functional PGAP3 gene. 
well, we can make DNA in a lab that is a functional copy of the PGAP3 gene. We can put it into a harmless virus and we can infect the baby with the virus. And then that virus, like other viruses do, delivers that good copy of the gene to as many of her neurons as possible and her neuron support cells as possible. And then she has a functional copy of the gene and it starts making that functional protein. And we don't know for many different neurodevelopmental diseases what that means for yeah. her. We know that sounds amazing. It's, it, it is amazing. I am. The fact that we have this technology in 2023 is I'm so grateful for it. If Lucy had been diagnosed 10 years ago, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but in 2018, a paper came out in the New England Journal that I read as a pediatrician for this terrible disease called spinal muscular atrophy that in its most severe form used to kill kids before age one because their muscles would get so weak that they couldn't breathe. And th- those kids are walking now, wow. which is brings tears to my eyes as a pediatrician to know that kids with SMA are walking. And so the potential is huge. We don't know what this means for other disorders, but I think the idea of giving the missing gene back is as close to a cure as we can ever come up with for the next 50 years of medicine. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Amazing. So before I let you go, I always like to end with some rapid fire questions. Sure thing. All right. So I know you're a hiker. Where's your favorite place to take the kids in the Bay Area? Briones. Ah. Yeah. It's pretty, it's beautiful. I like the the sort of backside of Briones over by the Alhambra entrance. Yeah. It just has really lovely picnic spots. I know that area well. All right. Do you have a guilty pleasure? Mm-hmm. In fact, we just made it recently. Uh, my mother-in-law for Passover every year makes this stuff called matzah brittle, which is matzah oh. with caramel and chocolate. Oh. And sea salt. And I, I'm so hard not to eat the whole Tupperware of it in my fridge <laughs> right now. <laughs> a little out of time. Make it last. <laughs> okay, Jerry, who inspires you? Oh, so many people. I think pertinent to, to this story are the people who've gone before us in the rare disease community uh, who have their own rare disease children to raise and yet spend so much time helping me with little questions and fundraising and how do I go about setting up a nonprofit and who are the researchers that I need to talk about this. There's another mom named Brittany Steinman who, who has raised $5 million for research for her child's disorder. And she has such a hard situation in her life right now. And yet she is so generous with her time. Rich Horgan being another person who's created a whole organization called Cure Rare Disease, where he helps people who are looking for rare disease cures organize themselves and find pathways forward. So I'm just so grateful to those people who have been so generous with their time. Okay. And with Mother's Day coming up, what's your favorite way to celebrate? A hike and a picnic, hands down, which my eight and a half year old isn't so happy about because she's not that into hiking these days, but she'll do it for Mother's Day for me. (laughs) I love it. And because this is called your daily chocolate, what's your favorite chocolate? Oh, gosh, my favorite chocolate out there. We already Um, know the mozzarella. We're here in the Bay Area. So the Ghirardelli dark chocolate caramel sea salts. Oh, yeah. Reminiscent of the mozzarella is probably a strong contender. All right. 
Gary, thank you so much for joining me today. Gosh, I, I wish you the best prayers for a, a cure or a therapy, success for the mom shots for moon shots. And like I said, we'll make sure that everybody has the ability to find you. Thank you so much for having me, Patty, and for helping to share Lucy's story. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, all I can think is we are so fortunate to have people like the Landmans who have the knowledge, have the drive, have the dedication, have the passion for finding cures for rare diseases like this. Awful that they had to come up to this point because of little Lucy Goosey, but so grateful for all that they are doing. And I'm a mom to fur babies, not real babies, fur babies. And I am going to try to figure out what I'm going to do for mom shots for unicorns on Mother's Day. Stay tuned. We might post something in Instagram. I don't think I'll be shooting my cats through a basketball hoop or anything like that, but we'll come up with something. As always, if this inspired you, if it made you smile, share it with others. Give us a review. If you feel led to support it financially, that'll keep ads from appearing in the middle of the podcast. We welcome that as well. And be sure to join next week. Yes, it's another kind of healthcare related thing. My guest will be Owen O'Neill, who was recently featured in People Magazine. And what he's done is just as inspiring. So come back and until then, enjoy. Enjoy.